to Luke chapter 17. Before I read, uh, I don't know where people sit anymore, but there she is. Haley, was, would you wave your hand? Would you mind a little? That wasn't very high. She's sitting over there. Uh, was beautifully filled up for the very first time with the experience of the Holy Ghost last Sunday. We're thankful for that. Amen. Praise the Lord. She's, she was a beautiful girl before the Holy Ghost, but buddy, she is certainly a beautiful girl now. Her whole countenance has changed. She looks like it was an unlit Christmas tree before, now she's one lit up. It's the best way I know how to say it. He thought you were worth saving, so he came and sacrificed his life. Luke chapter 17, in that day he which shall be on the housetop and his stuff in his house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that's in the field, let him likewise not return back. Notice verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in the night there shall be two men in one bed, the one shall be taken, the other left. This is talking about two people. Two women shall be grinding together, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two men shall be in the field, one shall be taken, and the other left. I don't want you to run away with me on this scripture reading. I'm probably not going to preach what you think. I want us to talk to you for a little while, and I'm very passionate about this message, and I'm going to do my best to give it all I've got. And it applies to everyone in the house today, everybody. Saved or not, church or not, doesn't matter. It's for everybody. I want to preach to you this morning about the embrace of an opportunity. The embrace of an opportunity. Everybody say, thank God for the word. Give your neighbor a high five and tell them I'm glad to see you. God bless you. You may be seated. This passage of Scripture, this passage of Scripture is one that is dealing with the ramifications of the Jews getting ready for the second coming of Christ, the church, and for that matter, the world. The context actually begins in verse 20. Jesus is answering a question from the Pharisees who were inquiring about when the kingdom of God would actually come to pass. So Jesus embarks on an explanation to them of what would take place when his kingdom would come to pass. And as you may notice, there are some similarities of this passage with Matthew chapters 24 And 25, which is called the Olivet, or the Mount of Olives Discourse. Jesus would bring to pass the thought that they had in reality would miss what the kingdom of God would look like. And that is simply the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2. Paul understood it when he said in Romans chapter 14, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, it's not an earthly kingdom but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. His instructions for this kingdom were different from any other than the Pharisees had ever heard before. When you are called to this kingdom, when you are being summoned 
to the kingdom of God, there are some requirements that are based on the principle of discipleship, the principle of separation. It has to do with the greatest priority that I talked to you about this past Wednesday night. So Jesus said, if you're on the housetop, don't go into the house to get your things. If you're in the field, don't go back home to get your possessions. He said, if you lose your life, or you will lose your life if you try to preserve it and hoard it, you'll only find your life by losing it or by giving yourself away in His kingdom. So you'll notice there's a fine line of separation that comes with God's kingdom. Two in bed, two grinding corn, two in the field, but one taken and the other left. A fine line of separation. So there's urgency about this text that tells us that we will not be riding in on someone else's coattails when it comes to our relationship with God. If you're going to make it, you're going to be what God wants you to be. If you're going to be a part of His kingdom as per His expectation, you're going to have to dig it out for yourself. You're going to have to seek and search for yourself. The Bible said to work out your own soul salvation with fear and trembling. But seemingly out of place in this discourse that Jesus was giving in response to the Pharisees' question, Seemingly out of place, there's this passage of Scripture. It's Luke chapter 17, verse 32. It's one of the shortest verses in the Bible. Jesus said to remember Lot's wife. There are other passages in which Jesus or one of the other writers of the, of the epistles or the New Testament books would mention an Old Testament character But then they'd go on to explain why they had mentioned them. For example, when it comes to Esau, the New Testament writers write about Esau. Said he threw away his birthright for a morsel of bread and a bowl of stew. The New Testament writers even referenced Sodom and Gomorrah, who will rise up in judgment because others had more to work with and did less. I want to tell you about Sodom and Gomorrah in passing. They had the beautiful blessing of prayer and intercession being made for them. They even had angelic visits, but they lacked the Word of God. Something to consider today in passing. But even Jonah, who laid in the belly of the great fish for three days... These people were referenced and then short explanation was given as to who they were and to why they were mentioned. But in this particular passage where Jesus said, Remember Lot's wife, that's all he said. No explanation, just a three-word sermon that Jesus preaches in this verse and then he continues on with answering the question, of the Pharisees. To me, it stands out as a warning. But there's something more behind this veiled reference. And it was up to them. It was up to the Pharisees. And it will be up to you and I this morning to try to understand what Jesus was saying, to discern what He was saying, 
and to dig out the meaning. I'm going to try to help you with that this morning. Lot's wife is a nameless woman in Scripture. All we know of her is, by way of identity, is that she was Lot's wife. We don't know what her name is. We have no idea where she came from. There's no background. There's no pedigree. There's no genealogy given to her. She's not a prophetess like Anna, that we know all about Anna. She's not a judge like Deborah. She's not a queen like Esther. She's not like Ruth, who was an intruder into the Jewish race and birthed a king. She's not like Rachel, who gives birth to a Joseph, and he becomes a great Egyptian prince. Lot's wife is not like Hannah, who is in a great prayer service, falls on the altar of the temple, if you will, cries out to God and bears a child that becomes one of the most prolific prophets in Jewish history. She's not like Abigail, who demonstrated great nobility in the time of difficulty. She's not like Sarah, who moved out from her country and left her kindred, along with her husband, seeking for a city whose builder and maker is God. She's not like Mary of Bethany, who changed the atmosphere and in a moment of worship when she broke an alabaster box of perfume. Lot's wife is not like any of these great women of Scripture. Nothing is known of her, and yet the command of Jesus to remember her is quite mind-boggling to me. So I suppose today, if you're going to try to know Lot's wife, you're going to probably have to look at her husband to try to figure out what kind of person Lot's wife is. So let's look at Lot. He's a nephew of Abraham. He's a fatherless child who is connected with a childless father. He became fused together in something that was not necessarily the will of God. Lot ended up leading a divided house against his uncle Abraham. Lot's actions and character could be summed up in other ways. From what we know of him in Scripture, I would not say that Lot was a very good man. He was probably a very carnal man. He was probably a very selfish man and driven by his own agenda. Lot could be a very divisive man. So God determined that Abraham needed to separate himself from Lot. God's wisdom prevails, and he directed Abraham to give Lot his own choice concerning land. And it's a choice. It's a choice. Everybody say a choice. It's a choice that would decide Lot's and Lot's family's future forever. I want to remind you today that I'm preaching to embrace an opportunity. Lot's wife, Lara Lot, was a greedy man driven by his own motives. God separates him from Abraham quickly seamlessly, and with very little scarring. But one of the great mysteries of Scripture, and I'm, I'm amazed at this, is Peter in his epistle referred to Lot as a righteous man. Notice the Scripture, and I'm going somewhere with this. Lot was good enough to entertain angels. He was good enough to provide for angels. 
He was good enough to protect the angels. He was good enough to defend the angels. He's good enough that when God decides to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot and his family are going to be saved from that destruction. I want to say and remind you again, Sodom and Gomorrah and specifically Lot and his family. All of these things, the angelic visit and all of that, was not the byproduct of Lot's lifestyle. It was the byproduct of an uncle who continually prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for Lot. I will submit to you today that Lot was under the umbrella of righteousness because of what his uncle Abraham prayed into his life. What Lot lacked was discipline to God's will. Lot lacked discipline and accountability to God's purpose in his life. So as a byproduct of of Lot being prayed for, interceded for, there's people here today that the people of God, your mama, your daddy, your relatives, your family, your friends have prayed untold hours for you to be given an opportunity to come to God on your own terms. I will remind you that not only does God believe you're worth saving, but so does also your family. And they pray. Everybody said, Amen. So all of the things that I just mentioned about Lot kind of reminds me of the average American churchgoer. Sometimes carnal, but thinks enough spiritual. And even thinks they're spiritual because they entertain angels on occasions. But Lot never really understood why those angels were even sent to him. Let me continue. God's instructions to Lot were to get his wife and daughters out of the city and flee to the mountains. There were some transactions that took place between Lot and these angels. And as he followed those angels along with his family, outside of Sodom and Gomorrah, he set his sights on a city called Zor, where the visit from the angels were the result of Abraham's intercession. At least Lot had enough wherewithal to follow the angels out. It behooves us today, somebody please hear the pastor. It behooves you today, if you're here today as a byproduct of someone else's intercession, it behooves you today to take advantage of the, uh, the opportunity. It, it, you have to allow God... Abraham's prayer got Lot out of Sodom. But what Lot did once he got out of Sodom was between him and God. The parameters of Abraham's intercession stopped at the city limits of Sodom and Gomorrah. And once Lot crossed that line with his family, he was on his own. 
and mom and dad's prayers and aunt and uncle's prayers didn't follow him past that point. I want to encourage somebody to take advantage of an opportunity that God has given you today. So as Lot prepares to leave the city, he takes his nameless wife and daughters and they are escorted out by these angels. Suddenly, they were opened up to the work of God in the venue of an opportunity. Lot, for the first time in his life, was exposed to an opportunity. He was not being led out of Sodom because he was being blessed. He was being led out of Sodom to be given an opportunity to pursue the will and purpose for God, for the kingdom of God in his life for the very first time. Do you folks understand that? Please understand. Because there's people here today. There's a bunch of people here today. There's young people here today. There's moms and dads here today. You're at that same crossroad. And the intercession of others can bring you to a great place in your life. But you reach a point where if you're going to embrace the opportunity God's given you, you have to do that part on your own. Some people say, man, if I just had an opportunity, if I could have just had an opportunity like so-and-so, if I could have just been at the place that they were at. It's not people here today necessarily in need of a blessing you're in need of an opportunity i just need an opportunity so so much can be done with opportunity if you're willing to invest it into god's purpose for your life so much could be done with an opportunity if you're willing to invest it in god's purpose for your life today you have an opportunity to prove who you are Today you have an opportunity to stick with it. Today you have an opportunity to turn your life around. Today you have an opportunity to improve your mind. Today you have an opportunity to form good habits. Today you have an opportunity to have sterling character. Today you have an opportunity to be useful. Today you have an opportunity to invest your life into an eternal purpose and not waste it. Today you have an opportunity to make a plan for your future. Somebody embrace the value of an opportunity. Would you clap your hands and shout yes? The word opportunity comes from a root word signifying at port or in the harbor. Of course, being a Murphy, I could pronounce some kind of a curse on the man that came up with Murphy's Law. Why did it have to be Murphy? Why couldn't it be McDonald's Law? Why couldn't it be Tear Law? Why did he pick Murphy? Tell you why he did. Because I lived that every single day of my life. And I am one of those kind of people that was truly at the airport when my ship came in. It's been raining soup before, and I've been outside with a fork. It's my life. But I'll tell you one thing. 
Brother Billy, when I stood in that office over there, there's Brother Merrill's office now. And the pastor that owned this church before we did looked at me in the eye and said, I understand and y'all planning to build a building on Blackwater Road. And I said, yes, we are. He said, would you be willing to buy this building? Brother Merrill was standing there without hesitation. Now, we only had about 65 people and we didn't have a whole lot of money. And I said, what do you want for the building? He said, $1.3 I said, let me talk to our trustee board, and I'll get back with you as soon as possible. I saw an opportunity, and I embraced the value of it. It was a long time in coming. It took 14 months from that night, but it was worth the wait, man. I'm not nearly done with my message, but somebody's got to get a good hell of what I'm saying. You say, well, you don't know the mountain in front of me. You don't know the mountain I've got to climb. I don't, but I know the mountain mover. I've learned a long time ago, for with men, things are impossible. But with God, all things. All things. There's folks here today that thought the hope of a happy marriage was over with until God extended to them the value of an opportunity and they embraced it. There's people here today that thought parenting was over until their kids came in contact with Jesus. There's folks here today that stood in a court of law and was expecting to be sentenced away for their life, but God stepped in the middle of it. I'm here to preach to somebody the value of an opportunity. God may not save you from the den of lions, but he will go with you. He'll be with you in the fiery furnace. It's the value of an opportunity. And when you say the word opportunity, comes from a root word signifying at port or in the harbor. It's a, suggestion, a suggestion, suggestion, excuse me, of the statement. It simply means this. There is a tide in the affairs of men which, if taken at flood, can lead you to a fortune. That's what the opportunity means. There is a tide in the affairs of men which, if taken when the opportunity comes can lead you to good fortune. So one has to think of a trader who is dealing in the market, ready to turn every opportunity into an advance for himself. There's great opportunities that will present themselves only once or twice in a lifetime. And a man must take advantage of those times and not look back. Opportunities like a strip of sand that stretches up and down the beaches. The greedy tides are always working against the sand. Listen to pastor this morning, whether it is people, communities, nations, or churches, no one can allow the erosion of opportunities. The problem with Lot's wife, the problem with Lot's wife is that she destroyed her opportunity. The problem with Lot's wife is that she destroyed her opportunity. 
And when Jesus said, remember Lot's wife, I believe that's what he was saying. As I set her up for the greatest opportunity of her life, on the back of Abraham's intercession, I set her up for the greatest opportunity she would ever have in her life. She blew it. At first glance, there's the tendency to think that she is a decadent sinner or a reprobate, a godless woman who is depraved. Perhaps the memorial of remembrance is to look at her sin and to stay away from it. But this cannot be the case because God brought her out. He thought she was worth saving. By the way, I didn't ask our praise team to do that. They sang that on their own. Casey directed that on her own. He thought, God thought, in honor of Abraham's prayer, that I'm going to deliver this woman and I'm going to see what she does with the opportunity that I give her. So whatever she was, or even had the potential to be, she wasn't bad enough for God to to destroy her because he sent angels to Sodom to escort her out. Lot and his wife must have been a big deal to God for him to go through the trouble. I don't know many people that's gotten an angelic escort in the Bible from their place of misery to a place of opportunity. If you were so bad, if there wasn't something in you that God did not want to save, He would have let you pass from this life a long time ago. Listen to Pastor. Lot's wife leaving Sodom and Gomorrah was not about whether or not she would get out. It was about whether or what she would do once she got out. And that's what Jesus is saying. I will deliver you from sin. I will deliver you from wickedness and habits and all kind of horrible things. I'll deliver you from it. But what you do from that point on is up to you. I can deliver you out of sin, but I'm not going to force you to do the right thing. So it was up to Lot's wife as to what she did with the rest of her life once she was escorted out of Sodom. But you'll notice the sadness of the Scripture. As she was leaving... On the way to her destiny, as she was leaving Sodom, on the way to her destiny, to her future, she aborted the whole purpose. This message today is not necessarily for backsliders because she did not go back. She didn't go back. She didn't let go of Lot's hand and tell her daughters goodbye. I'm going back to Sodom 
which is now burning with fire and brimstone. She didn't go back. This is not a message for people who go back, but for people who look back. Why, what would make this woman who had a safe future in front of her look back? Why would she throw away the hopes for tomorrow with one more look back to yesterday? Why would she look back when everything God had for her. Listen to Pastor. Why would she look back when everything God had for her was in front of her? Everything that God has for us, everything that God has for you and me is in our future. You have to quit looking back at that old year, that old time, the old mistakes, the old grudges, the old offenses, the old hurts, the old dilemmas of life. If you keep looking back, you'll never embrace the promise of God in the future. Our prayer can never be, God, don't let me go back, because the problem is not going back. The problem is looking back. Somewhere in life, we have to get over the spilt milk mentality. Laurel and Hardy said years ago, split milk. We have to get past. The Bible said once a liquid is poured into the ground, you can never retrieve it. Once it's spilt, you can never retrieve it and we have to get that perspective out of our mind and heart because crying about yesterday is not going to do any good about tomorrow the remember lot's wife message that jesus was preaching was don't look back if we are going to remember lot's wife there are some points we will have to observe and make she was not a backslider because she didn't go back she was not a sinner because a sinner never would have left she epitomizes the child of god who has enough faith to get out, but still has so many issues in the past, they can't embrace the future. She was given an opportunity by God Himself, but she didn't take advantage of it. When God gets ready to move on your behalf, listen to Pastor. When God gets ready to move on your behalf as a result of interceding people, it's going to be quickly. It's going to happen quickly. and happen just like that. It can happen a moment. One circumstance can come to your life in one single moment, and it changes everything forever. God is a first-class expert, if you will, on turning what was intended to be evil in your life. He can turn it into good. You just have to be willing to move quickly and without delay. The Israelites crossing the Red Sea was immediate. Peter was delivered by the angels from jail while a prayer meeting was going on. Straightway, the disciples left their nets and followed Jesus. Straightway, immediately the woman with the issue of blood was healed. Straightway, Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. Straightway, did the young man in Mark 7 have his ears open and his speech impediment healed? Weeping may endure for a night, but 
there's another opportunity coming that ends the weeping, that ends the depressing, that ends the loneliness, that ends the despair. Gee, the Bible said weeping may endure for a night, but joy, but joy comes in the morning. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. If a person gets pulled out, if a person gets pulled out, they are often are pulled out so fast that if you are attached to anything in the past, you will not be prepared for what God is going to do in the future. You know, God didn't give Lot and his nameless wife a seven-day notice. Not only did they not have time to pack their suitcase, she didn't even have time to pack cosmetics. You just come on out with that what you wore all day today. And that old ugly face, just come on out, it don't matter. I'm trying to help somebody here this morning with all of my heart. Things can happen in a moment that's life-changing. And we, where we say, this is the end of my life. God says, no, 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 no. This is the beginning of your life. Lot and his wife and daughters lost everything they had. They had no time to prepare, no time to pack. Couldn't make any phone calls. Couldn't send out an email. And how tragic. They didn't even have time to post it on Facebook. That right there is depressing. How sad and how inconsiderate of God to expect us to leave Sodom as fire is currently falling down from heaven. And I don't have time to get on Facebook and tell everybody goodbye. See, what you understand about Sodom is they're not going to have time to get on Facebook either. And they're not going to worry about your goodbyes. Because they'll never boot up Facebook again. I didn't mean that to sound harsh, but nonetheless, it's a biblical fact. So, if you're going to get what God has for you in the next month of October, then you're going to have to leave everything in September. For that matter, whatever happened this year, you have to leave it there. The reason that Jesus wanted us to remember Lot's wife was because she had been delivered from a place physically but wasn't prepared for it mentally nor spiritually. Her body was out of Sodom, but her mind was still there. Her situation was out of Sodom, but her attitude was still there. Her was out of Sodom, but the condition she was in was still in Sodom. A dangerous place to be in life when you are divided against yourself. God brought her to a place of where she had no real appreciation for. Woe to those who seek to remain in the familiar when God wants to put us in the divine. Woe to those who seek to remain in the comfortable when God wants to put us in a place of opportunity. Woe to those of us who have been given an opportunity, but your mind is tied up in what you're accustomed to. Just a three-word sermon sends an immortal, eternal warning to the church. Remember Lot's wife. Remember that I brought her to a place she wasn't ready for. Remember that I brought her out, but she couldn't think it out. Remember that I brought her body out, but she couldn't get her mind out. 
Remember that I brought her to a place of opportunity, but her faith couldn't bear it. Remember that I brought her to a place where destiny called, and she needed nothing from the past to make it happen. Forget about all those things that are in yesterday and reach into tomorrow into the will of God. Her body was out. Her face was headed for Zor. Her hands were in the hand of a man who was being led by angels. But her mind was looking back. So what about us? What is the lesson for us? You can go to a blessed church. You can worship in a blessed environment. You can say blessed things. But if you go into tomorrow divided, you will perish between the two places. Lot's wife is the only person in Scripture who got out of a terrible situation with her destiny in front of her and still perished. She wasn't murdered. She wasn't crucified. She wasn't imprisoned. She destroyed herself. She did it. She was being led by angels, man. These two men in front of her were angels. Y'all get that? She wasn't led by some traditional kook. She wasn't led by some old traditional child of God that they're kind of weird anyway. She wasn't even being led by a pastor who gets way too passionate and too zealous sometimes. She was being led by angels and given complete and total control of her destiny. She couldn't do it. I see this. I've seen it for years in pastoral ministry. People are on the precipice of opportunity for one of the first and only times of their life, and they walk away for the carnal. They walk away because of traditional values. They walk away because they say, nobody cares about me. They walk away saying, the pastor offended me. They walk away because of this. They walk away because of that. You put anything you want. They walk away because of drugs. They walk away because of sin and sex and everything else you can imagine. They walk away from an opportunity that's eternal, that's divine, that God orchestrated by his own hands on the back of interceding people as they walk away. Josephus, the Jewish historian, wrote that he saw Lot's wife in the wilderness. He claims he saw her. Sodom and Gomorrah could not be located because it's at the bottom of the Dead Sea. But God, at least for we know for a period of time, I don't know if Josephus saw her or not. He said he did. I wasn't there, so I can't argue with it. It's amazing to me, though, that he buried Sodom and Gomorrah, but made a monument out of Lot's wife. Don't forget that lady. I don't care about Sodom and Gomorrah. That's over with. That's done and gone. But don't ever forget Lot's wife. She was frozen in time. She was coming out, and she was frozen in time because she looked back. She got permanently attached to that date on the calendar. I've heard it all of my life. People say, I'll never forget the day when such and such happened to me. I'll never forget the day when pastor said so and so. I'll never forget the day when my divorce came down. I'll never forget the day when my kids ran away. I hear that all the time. And somehow or another, there's some biblical substance to that 
principle. It's amazing that God wants us to forget as much as we can about our past. But He challenges you to forget Lot's wife. Why? Why? Because He wants her to be an everlasting, eternal memorial to people who've been given a date with divine destiny. There's people sitting here today. As much as your date of offense is in your mind, this date has been on God's calendar since the day you were born. You remember the negative day, but this is a day that will go down in in infamy with God. He will remember that He brought you to Grace Church for a purpose. You thought you were just coming to worship. You thought you were being kind to the family and friends who invited you. But God got a hold of your heart. And He wooed you a little bit. And He said, I want to give you one more glimpse at my future for you. It may not be easy. And He's not promising there won't be a Red Sea in front of you. Neither will He promise there won't be a den of lions or a fiery furnace. But he is promising. And if you'll embrace the opportunity that I'm giving you, your life will summarily change. Because I'll be with you in a way that you've never experienced. I'll put you on a journey that won't be guided by angels will be guided by my hand. Somebody quoted this morning in Sunday school, for the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. If you'll stand with me this morning. I trust today that you haven't felt that this has been a condemnatory message. I hope you'll walk out of here and say it was one packed with conviction. Because conviction is an awesome tool through which God woos us, calls us. He's calling your name. There's people here this morning that's fighting back tears right now. You're fighting them back. You see ahead of you a God destiny, God purpose, kingdom purpose. But there's that strong pull of humanity and of human nature. I want to look I want to look back one more time at Sodom. I want to say to you again that everything God has for you is in your future and you need to take nothing with you from your past. This moment reminds me of when Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives right before the triumphal entry. And he looked over Jerusalem and wept. He said, how often would I have gathered you together as a hen does her brood? But you would not. I preached a sermon years ago when we evangelized. Jesus saying, how often would I have? But you would not. 
But he's here today again for somebody. Setting in front of you an open door. The sum total of your life for folks here today has been led by angels. But what you do from this point on is up up to you and God. It's between you and God. Mama's prayers can't get you any further. Daddy's prayers can't get you any further. The pastor praying for you can't take you any further. It's up to you now. You've been prayed to this place, but now it's up to you, Lot's wife, whatever your name is. There's moms and dads here today that are at that precipice. There's church leaders here today that are at that precipice. That, that, that crossroads would be a better word. You're, you're at that place where I can continue to choose the mundane and the ordinary and the average. I can choose between the balance of carnality and spirituality. You know, I want to be saved, but I still want to do with my life what I want to do. And so I'm going to do that excruciating balancing act. I want to pray enough to be saved, but not pray enough to be effective. I, I want to attend church regular enough to say that I'm there, but I'm not really impacting anybody's life. That kind of reminds me of Lot's wife. God brought her out, but she stopped short of the opportunity He gave her to be what He wanted her to be. you'll bow your heads for a moment Father today cried over this message be more appealing to preach something where we shout and dance and feel good and felt like we had a big ball of cotton candy when we came to church but that's not the case today there's folks here today that are at a crossroads they don't know what to do with their marriage they don't know what to do with their life They don't know what to do about their job, their habits, their lifestyle. They don't know what to do. There's people here today as a result of intercession. God could have spared a whole lot more than Sodom if there had just been some more righteous people there. There was only one interceder. There's only one making intercession. God, speak to somebody here today. This is the first day of the rest of their life. What they do from here, if they could settle the hard issues, if they could settle the hard issues, then they could settle the mind issues. If they could settle their hard issues, they could embrace the future. If they could know that you're their everlasting friend and companion. Instead of looking for you, Lot's family was looking at Zor. They couldn't see a future with God in it. That's why Lot and his daughters committed such a God-awful transgression. They couldn't see God in their future. God, help the folks today. Help the folks today to see that you're in their future, no matter what their future may be. You're in it. They'll embrace you. They'll see you in it. And you'll guide them every step they take. 
as our custom is here at Grace Church, we don't embarrass people, we don't put people on the spot, but we do ask you to come up to the front and just stand. We ask everybody to do this. It's just a moment. Give you an opportunity to pray, to say to God whatever it is you want to say. I'm going to ask everybody to come this way, if you would, everybody, our guest. Please feel free to come. Please feel welcome to come. We want you to come and just talk to God. Say, God, if you're in my future, let me see you. God, if you're in my future, let me see you. I don't want to pursue pursue Zor. I want to pursue God. I, I need you, God. I need you in my life. I need you in my future, God. I need you to take a hold of my hand, God. Take take a hold of my hand and lead me, oh God. Lead me, oh God. 